Hello, Michael here. You know, I can remember thinking that this is the sort of thing I would never have to do again. But unfortunately, I need to do a preamble about some audio issues with this episode. So Tom and I were able to get two amazing guests to join us for this, our first The Review episode. Unfortunately, one of our guests had never been on a podcast before, and their equipment, while we thought it was going to be okay, turned out it wasn't exactly what we needed, and there is an unfortunate popping sound happening throughout Justice's audio. There's nothing we can do about it. It is what it is. We didn't want to scrap the episode, so hopefully you will be able to uh, get through it. It's not terrible. It's a little annoying, but it's not going to like kill you. Uh, and luckily, it's only one person's audio, so it's only like 25% of the episode. And I actually talk a lot, so maybe even less than that. So again, my deepest apologies. Um, Justice, also very sorry. He has since gone out and bought more equipment. He's ready to go for next time, whether that be with us or someone else. So I don't want anybody to think it's not his fault. That's just the the nature of the beast. Uh, but you will definitely hear some audio distortion issues uh, on his side of the audio. So with that out of the way, please enjoy this first, The Review. Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael and I'm joined today with three very special guests, Tom, Justice, and Gwen. More from them in a moment. Uh, but this is the first in what will become a new series, hopefully, from the RPG Academy where we're going to review some products. We try to come up with a cool name that fit the Academy theme, but we just couldn't. So we just settled. we're just going to call them the reviews. That way there's no confusion about what they are or what we're trying to do. So for our first The Review, we are going to take a look at the newest hardback from Wizards of the Coast, The Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Uh, if you've followed us for a while, that you know that generally we only talk about the things we love. If there's something we don't like, we just don't talk about it. But for these reviews, there will be parts where we are critical. If there's things about the books or the products we don't like, we will certainly call them out. But in general, if we're talking about them at all, that means that at least in some segment, we think that they're good. Maybe not great, but good. Uh, so our grading system will go from C to an A+. So a C, still passing, but maybe not what you're hoping for. A+, obviously, is what you would want. So with that, I'll turn it over to Tom first. Tom, say hello to everyone. How's it going? Uh, I'm really excited for this this show because I, I like just talking. And so whenever Michael gives me a, another opportunity to just kind of ramble for a little bit, I'll take it, you know? All right. So are you doing anything outside of this particular podcast you want to talk about quickly? Oh, if I, am I? Yes. So we are running the RPG Academy Presents Actual Play, which you can catch every other Wednesday. And now what does that mean? It means that this upcoming Wednesday, you can watch it. And then the next Wednesday, you <laughs> cannot. And right now we are watch, we are running through the Ghosts of Saltmarsh. And then other than that, I'm just prepping for all the work that we're going to be doing for Akatacon. More More on that later. All right. And then we have two, again, very special guests join us as well. So Gwen, say hello to everyone. Tell them who you are and what you do. 
Hello, I'm Gwen Bassett, or Gwen DB across the internet, and I am a professional illustrator, so I draw pictures in exchange for money, and you can find me on the internet if you like pictures and or have disposable income. <laughs> I'm pretty sure everyone has seen your art, too, at this point. That's the goal, anyway. All right, very cool. Thank you for joining us. And to the screen left on my side, because no one's watching, so it doesn't matter, we have Justice. Justice, hello to everyone. Tell me who you are. Hi, uh, my name's Justice. I'm a writer on the DMs Guild, um, and then I do a little bit of light illustration and uh, some editing. So, yeah. Light illustration. You do some very good illustrations as well. And <laughs> I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> and also, this is, all right, I need to ask Justice something before we really kick off. Is this your first um, appearance on a podcaster stream? Oh, absolutely. Could you oh, not no. tell by the phone? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we get the very first appearance. So in 10 years, this is going to be a very, very rare collector's item because Justice is getting the official Tom Cantwell Rookie of the Year award for Boom. just coming out of nowhere and writing just about everything you can think about, about devils. You, you know, and Tom, you were my first uh, layout editor as well. I was, so, yes. Um, even before I began Devil's Advocate, you were doing my yeah, stuff. Yeah, so. I know. Super cool. Very, you know, how it all comes around. So anyway, Michael, I'll, I'll kind of take it from here as we are going to dive into Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. This is the, the big old hardcover that's been released this year, the second one after Ghost of Saltmarsh. And what this adventure is, this is the, the thousand foot overview. We'll just give it to you all. And like I said, anybody feel free to jump in. And also, I must preface this by spoiler warning. We're going to probably keep it spoiler light. But if you plan on playing in this and you wish to avoid any possible details, probably best to skip this one. And then come back later, obviously, yeah. after you've played it. And then find <laughs> out how we were wrong. Okay. So anyway, so what this is, is this is a very epic adventure that is supposed to take the players and game masters outside of the Forgotten Realms and throw them into the larger scope of the Wizards of the Coast properties. So specifically, the Plains and then the Nine Hells. So Avernus, it's in the title. So this adventure is going to follow players as they first start out in Baldur's Gate after a, a devastation has affected another city close by. They come to Baldur's Gate, there's all sorts of chaos, and they get involved in said chaos, all the crime and everything that is associated with Baldur's Gate. Eventually, this leads them to realize that, hey, there's something going on, and this city was sucked down into a Vertus. Which is, you know, whenever whenever a city sucked down into the first level of hell, that's usually not a good thing. So I mean, the player has there ever been a time a city's been sucked down into a good thing? Like, is there ever mm. a president? We were sucked down into utopia, Atlantis. No, things uh, <laughs> started figuratively, literally going south for Atlantis when they went underwater. <laughs> that's right it's so that's what happens though and it's it's, it's it's really hot and they get sucked down into avernus and the players now have to figure out how they can restore the city of el Torel back to the faerun and so that's where our story kind of takes us and the players then eventually descend down into avernus to figure out what's going on 
they get involved in the blood war. They get to meet some very, very famous NPCs, such as Zaria, the fallen angel, and now one of the basically a what's the term? Is it? It's not a demi devil, arch devil, arch devil, arch devil. Mm-hmm. And so you all get involved with that. There's a swords, lots of really cool opportunities to be very edgy and uh, infernal war machines, and a lot of. Just absolutely crazy stuff that we haven't seen yet from just playing in the Forgotten Realms. That's kind of the thousand foot overview. Start in Baldur's Gate, end up in hell, save the, I want to say galaxy, but you're really just saving one city. So anyway, um, that's where we're going to start things off. Overall, though, what'd you all, what'd you all think? Gwen, overall, what'd you think? I, I'm intrigued. Um, I think the, uh, the way the book is divvied up confused me a little bit when I was going through it because you start off in Baldur's Gate, but then you quickly end up in hell. And then there's like an 80 page appendix at the back just for bonus stuff to do in Baldur's Gate, which on the one hand is rad. Uh, but on the other, it f- when I was reading through it, I was like, wait, but I want to add all this, but I don't want everyone to be stuck at level four for forever. Um, sorry, you guys said we like to keep it positive here. And I immediately no, no, no criticism. You're fine. <laughs> I think it was fair. Um, but honestly, uh, the all the parts that are in Avernus are super cool. Um, I'm really excited to actually start playing them. Uh, I know you mentioned the Infernal War Machines I'm very excited about. But overall, I think it seems like a very fun adventure that you don't need a whole lot of D&D lore uh, knowledge to get into. So it definitely seems like a new table-friendly sort of adventure. Cool. And I want you to put a bookmark and your thoughts on Baldur's Gate because... I actually have a lot of the same thoughts and opinions. <laughs> so, Justice, uh, overall, what'd you think? Uh, so, you know, I'm running Waterdeep Dragon Heist now, and I, I look at things mostly from a, a DM perspective. Uh, I think that I really like the book. Uh, you, you know, you look at like Curse of Strahd, where the you basically got like a kind of more serious Halloween mood all year long, which... Um, Curse of Strahd is really great, but I can't commit to that for a year, you know? Um, I feel like Baldur's Gate does mood really well, mixes the humor in, and I think from a um, running perspective, it's very clear of what kind of happens when. There are some more confusing sections, um, but, you know, as I'm running Waterdeep Dragon Heist, you got so many NPCs, and there's so many opportunities for them to come in all at once. Whereas I feel like Baldur's Gate has a lot of trees that are more clear that you can run down. So I, all in all, I, you know, I really like it. I think the flavor's great. I am kind of uh, biased in that, you know, I bought a ton of Dwarven Forge that's hell-themed, so I'm I'm in this no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> You're in. Okay. For, uh, and, uh, justice. Agree, man. We're, <laughs> that's, uh, you are, okay, in, you are in 100%. And I would expect nothing less from you because everything that I know about you is that when you commit, you commit all the way. Hard. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's no middle ground. I love it. All right. So, Michael, uh, overall, what'd you think? So, overall, generally positive thoughts. Uh, again, anyone who listens to our show for a while knows I don't generally run modules. I'm pretty much a homebrew. So, any module, I'm just going to rip pieces and parts out of. Uh, but it feels like a very epic story. I mean, obviously, you're descending into one of the levels of hell. And again, it's not like you're just trying to kill everything, though that is, there's a lot of opportunity for that. But the ultimate story is to maybe to like um, re- get a uh, fallen angel to repent and return to glory, like a redemption story. And that's 
a very cool thing. Doesn't doesn't mean it's going to happen because you can all die or it doesn't work out. But I just think that's kind of a cool story that if it goes well and your group succeeds, you probably will be talking about that story for a very long time. So in general, I think it's cool. There are some certain elements and the way some of those elements are presented that I'm not a fan of. Um, I do like the story trees. I think Justice hit on that a little bit. Like for each chapter and even within the chapters in certain sections, it gives you sort of like a tree. Like you start here and it'll even tell you what levels. Like you should be level seven and eight in this section. And then you can either go here or here and each level those sections are for. So if you're newer DM and maybe you're trying to do improv and you're not exactly sure where things are going to go, that's I think that's very helpful at a glance to go, okay, well, when we're done with this scene, I need them to go either here or here, how's it feeling, which NPCs can I bring in to get them there? So I think those are very helpful um, additions and very simple. I, I hope mo more modules do that. I'm glad this one did. Uh, but other sections like was hinted at that Baldur's Gate is both at the front in a very small section and then in the back in a very large section, uh, just seems kind of counterintuitive to what I would think that someone who's new to running games would need that information. So I guess my biggest question is, is this book designed for someone who's not ran a lot? And if so, is it a good book for someone who's not ran a lot to start with? Yeah. So Tom, do you? Uh, yeah. So my overall thoughts of this book, I run pretty much all of the modules. So I was super ready to dive into this book. First off, I have to say that the art in this book is absolutely, it may be some of the best art that I've seen in one of the modules, not too much recycled art. And the concept art section in the back is one of my favorite things because it lets you see inside that artist's brain to see where they came from. And it's it's really neat. Uh, like has already, like people have already said, the I. I love the idea of Avernus. Um, I don't really like the idea of Baldur's Gate and what they did with that. But because um, I'm just not sure how it all ties in together well. And it, some parts don't seem 100% seamless. The other thing, though, I will say is that I do love how extra this book is. And the idea that I absolutely eat up the idea of descending into hell and redeeming an angel with a glowing magical sword. Like that is what me and my players love to do. And we love to be as just as epic and cringy as we possibly can in this <laughs> high stakes drama is I love that portion of it. Those are my general thoughts about it. What we're going to do now is we're going to dive. We're going to dive in though. So like we've already said, there's very there's two very distinct sections of this book. There is the Baldur's Gate portion, and then there is the Descent into Avernus portion. So we're going to talk about the Baldur's Gate portion, which makes up the very the first chapter of this book, and then also what they call the Baldur's Gate Gazetteer. Gazetteer? Sure. Anyone know? That's not in the pronun It's not in the pronunciation guide. <laughs> yes, there's a pronunciation guide, uh, which is probably one of my favorite things about any module, and it should be. It's they're including them in most of the new ones, which is an you mm -hmm. a plus for that. So anyway, Baldur's Gate. Who is who's a huge fan of Baldur's Gate here? As far as as is there anybody here who's played all the games is really steeped in the lore? Because I want your explanation. So I haven't played either of them. I looked into them a little bit ever since that announcement that they made, uh, you know, with Larian Studios and stuff. I think it's super cool. I wish I knew the lore. I know more of the hell lore than anything else. Okay. No, that's, yeah, I think we'll, we'll let you do that. But what's, um, Baldur's Gate, it's kind of like a, it's a, 
they Chris Parkins described it as the Gotham City to the Forgotten Realms. If Waterdeep is Metropolis, Baldur's Gate is the it's really bad, okay? Nobody wants to go there. Gwen, what were your thoughts about this Baldur's Gate chapter? Uh, I like the chapter just fine. So there are two very distinct parts of, in the book with Baldur's Gate. There's the um, basically the first chunk of the adventure that happens in Baldur's Gate, and it's very normal adventure stuff. Honestly, I can't remember the last time I had an adventure that didn't start off with some sort of cultists up to some nonsense, so this is just more of that. And then uh the part in the back the huge appendix was just like a list of things you could find in Baldur's Gate places you could go in Baldur's Gate some people you could talk to in Baldur's Gate a lot of um city government uh dynamics that were happening and the the CD underbelly and you can meet like the leader of the thief guild and all of that and that was a lot of very interesting content that it felt like they developed and then couldn't figure out how to actually put in the adventure but spent too much time on it to not put it somewhere so it was a really interesting supplement just sort of buried in the middle of this uh hell adventure and i liked it from a kind of homebrew world building perspective but i really couldn't see how it fit in with the first chapter at all because you play through that and you basically go all right here's some bad stuff happening and now we have to leave Mm -hmm. and now we have to go to hell so there's no time for any of the bonus fun stuff but the first chapter did seem like a pretty straightforward just adventure setup. You, go, you you find some evil things and some evil people, and then you go to a different place and start solving problems. Absolutely, Justice. What were you? You would you have some thoughts on this? Yeah. So um, I think that the Wizards of the Coast, you know, they know that common threshold that a lot of groups falter out before about tenth level. Um, so they have these chapters in a lot of their books that take you from one to five, and then things really start happening around level five. Um, you know, if you compare this to like Storm King's Thunder, where literally you get to level five in one or two nights, I think it's a little bit fleshed out. It has a lot of box text, which that's up to you. New DMs, I think it's more friendly to them. You know, you're not used to doing these sort of descriptions. You can... Um, reference this but i think there's one that stretches basically half the page um which even as a new dm you might have some players starting to kind of wander at that point i i think that comparing it to dragon heist though that gazetteer at the back one thing i liked about it was it provided a lot of specific locations which i feel like the the guide in Waterdeep dragon heist was more general um kind of told you about the wards but not a lot of you know, things you can directly put on the table, like locations or taverns. And I think that um, this book does a better job. And maybe it's that they're trying to make themselves more marketable to say, hey, you might not play this adventure, but you might adventure in Baldur's Gate and check out this 80-page gazetteer in here. And maybe you can see about some of the stuff there. Um, So I think it's good there. Um, But I I know it gets a little railroady, and there is quite a bit of box text um but the flavor is there yeah the i'll say this too the kind of what what gwen said that the 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 black portion is a there's a lot of content there but this adventure wants you to get into avernus so badly that it is the first portion the Baldur's gate portion is extremely railroady and which is not necessarily a bad thing there's this negative connotation about railroady and you have them you have a, you're paying sixty dollars for this module there's some buy-in that you want to experience the story right there but 
this adventure doesn't the first portion doesn't necessarily give you the the players the illusion of choice it is very one thing in this section that i just kept going back to is right at the beginning you enter Baldur's gate and you get drafted to be part of the flaming fist when that happens there is no choice you have to join the flaming fist and then if you don't do their mission, they send like 12 thugs after you. And it's not that they're trying to some nefarious thing to to stop you. It's like you they send 12 thugs to force you to do the mission. Not that the thugs will do the mission with you. It's just like, oh, now you have to do the mission. Otherwise, I'm like, why don't you just do the mission? So right. it reminded me a lot of I have one module from the olden days of AD&D, which is Temple of Elemental Evil. And it's very, very similar in the sense that lots of box text because they don't the fun part is in the Temple of Elemental Evil. And then they want you to get you there. And the same thing with this. The fun part is in Avernus. It wants to get you there. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think it would be more helpful to just start in media res and say, all right, so you've been recruited by these people and you're out on your first mission game start. Um, Because yeah, like you said, it is very railroady at the beginning, but it's for the benefit of the entire adventure that you, you know, go play the rest of the adventure and not have the option to just leave and play a different module. Um, Yeah. So that, although now that I say that, that would limit even more the amount of time you spend in Baldur's Gate. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's maybe I'm not a game designer and stop trying to fix things on the fly. In the we just of the have podcast. a we just have opinions. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not qualified to have them, but I have them. Michael, what were your thoughts about this? So uh, again, I feel very similar to like everyone's saying. It, 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 to me, it feels like the beginning section is very railroady. If mm. you have someone, this is their first module, they're very new to being a DM, it very much makes sure that your players follow along. But if you're more experienced and that puts a bad taste in your mouth, like for me it does, they said, well, here's 80 pages. Feel free to extend Baldur's Gate as much as you want. Here's what it feels like. Spend all the time you want there, but just don't level your characters higher than fourth level or it screws everything else up. So it it felt to me sort of like they wanted to eat their cake and have it too. Like they wanted to get right into the adventure. They wanted it to be railroady. But just in case, here's a bunch of other information that you can use to flesh that out. I, again, I'm, I think railroad has a horrible mm-hmm. um, connotation, which it deserves in some cases and not others. But it, reading this, I was like, seriously? Like, I think there's one section where it's yeah. like, if you don't do what we say, we're going to kill you. Like, it literally is like, it's a, a ultimatum, either go where we want mm-hmm. you or we will kill you. And I just like, I, I, I think that's bad information to give a new DM because that's what creates those DMs that don't understand it's a cooperative story and you have to follow what I'm saying. And if, if you're telling them it's okay to just basically kill them if they don't follow your story, I would rather like a 20 page guide to this is how you create like a session zero. This is how you get buy into your characters, attach them to this world, attach them to Avernus or to Zariel or uh, the other city. I can't remember the name of, would be much more important and, and impactful than the mm-hmm. Baldur's Gate section at all. So we, we all right. So we have all success, successfully eviscerated the Baldur's Gate section. No. So what we want to do is, what is something that you liked about it? And I'll start. 
so I love the dungeons in this section. I think they're really cool. I think they're very classical, and I really think that, especially like we said, if the, if a new G or a new DM is using this book, this is a great. These are some great dungeons to use to really tell you about that first portion of Dungeons and Dragons. So that is, they, these are great dungeons. The other thing, there's a flying cat in this section. All right, and I, if you throw a cat into the game, I'm like all of a sudden, hey. Best game ever. You're getting an A+. All right, so that's what Tom loved. <laughs> Who was next? Oh, uh, so um, I really like, and I think I mentioned this to you a little bit ago, you know, off off this, but I, I love the connections that they built off of existing kind of lore with, uh, sword, you know, Sword Coast Adventures Guide. And I, and I won't spoil um, anything here, but I, I loved that there are moments when you're reading the Sword Coast Adventures Guide where you're reading about um, some of this part with like El Torel or some of the history in these different wars. Um, there's mentions of, you know, this vampire that conquers El Torel at one point. And you get these links in this earlier section and in the introduction to the book that start to make sense. You're like, oh, okay, well, that's where that shining ball of light comes from. That makes sense. Like, uh, and just some of the interactions, um, some of the interactions between characters are really um, interesting. I feel like. Absolutely. And you met, yeah, you did mention that if anybody has the sword coast adventures guide, this is an absolutely great time to use it. So if you felt like, why is that book sitting on my shelf? And now, you know, uh, Gwen, what you, what was something, what was something that you really liked about this section? Um, so two things come to mind. First, I think uh, they did a really good job setting up the plot hooks in this. I think the NPCs that you meet first off have interesting ties to the rest of the plot. Um, and that is often hard for low level chunks of modules to achieve. You're just sort of like, I don't know, here's here's <laughs> the important person in charge of everything. Go talk to them. Um, but this is some fun NPCs that you get to meet and some interesting cult ties and all of that. Uh, I have a specific favorite NPC. I found him. He's on page 34. His name is Thirstwell Van Vanthapur, and I love his art. You just, I don't know, something about this horrible, sickly looking guy. I saw him and was like, wait, are there vampires in this book? And then had to go back and read it. And they're not, uh, not, not this guy anyway. Um, yeah, he's just, um, frail and hateful, according to his description. And I love it. <laughs> um, my other thing is that the art in this is good. Like this first section uh, has some fun NPC designs that I think are going to get shadowed over because they're all at like level two or whatever. But there's yeah. like a cultist uh, design on page 27 that I'm not going to tell you what it looks like. You're going to have to find it for yourself, but it's stupid and I love it. The it's funny that you actually I actually had a note about the 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 Vanthapers or however you pronounce their last name this nasty terrible family you <laughs> you I liked a different one I liked Amrick Vanthap he is so edgy and he is every NPC that I have ever created with his belt of knives and everything oh and the twirly evil mustache love it uh, i know i saw him and i was just like oh it's snidely whiplash meets vincent valentine cool oh, it's, it's <laughs> great Good character design yes uh, did anyone else get the feeling that those were directly lifted from the fratellis from goonies oh you my... got the disformed younger son who's actually the good-hearted one uh the ma who's basically the strong bruiser that beats everyone into submission I think they're Fratellis. You are a hundred percent correct, Michael. And I have did I completely missed that. But now that you say it, it's exactly what they are. Th 
This is a Goonies reference. Here's the part where I have to admit that I don't know the Goonies, so I'm just oh no. Sure. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, that's okay. But it's there's all sorts of other weird pop culture references in this book that I really like, and I think yeah. that people will get a, a good real kick out of it. Yeah, there were, there's one I actually made a note in this. It's clearly gone now, but I read it. And I was like, is this what I think it is? And obviously, this means nothing because I can't remember it. But yeah, there are definitely sprinkled throughout where it's just like made me obviously this is supposed to be this other thing. Uh, but for me, the other thing I actually I, I agree with Gwen, that's one of the things I really liked was that family dynamic. Because that's one of the reasons why I like to play D&D. I really get into the sort of moral gray area, the, the heavy role playing where you, you can you know, push people against each other. And I just I find that very interesting. And that is definitely set up where you have three sons, any of which you could probably manipulate to work against the other two. It kind of gives you the in early, but you could approach any of the three, probably leverage them against the other two and eventually get where you need to get. And I just think that's fun. So I really like that. As a slight criticism, I hate their names. I get it's D&D and everybody has weird names in D&D, but there are some crazy names oh, yeah. in this thing. So I'm going to rewrite everybody's name because I will never be able to say any of them. That's why you. That's why they gave you a pronunciation. Is it worth it, use it? All right. So... <laughs> That's a that's a very good question as well. <laughs> All right, the next we're gonna jump right into the chapters two and three, which are the big chunk of this. It's the Avernus section. It's where they need to go down there and they need to save the day or give in to their fiendish desires. So, Avernus, the plains, justice, take it away. What are these things, and why should we care? Uh, so a, a little bit on the planes. Um, you can find some information on them early in the Dungeon Master's Guide around uh, page 45. Um, I think the Dungeon Master's Guide should be required reading for every Dungeon Master. Um, but you talk about the outer and the inner planes. The inners are basically all elemental stuff. Um, a lot of cosmology. You, there's different ways to interpret it. Um, but the outer planes are where you start to get into the hells. There's... there's um, Outer planes are all influenced by alignment. Um, so you have like chaotic good, chaotic neutral planes. Um, and one of these outer planes is the nine hells. Um, you know, kind of distancing it between um, what you get with demons. You get the abyss with demons, which has potentially infinite layers. Um, but the nine hells is strictly nine layers contained to one kind of dimension, if you look at it that way. Um, there are different ways to move between hells that we looked into um, for the for what we put out just recently with our Hellbound Heist book, uh, most of which through the River of Sticks, which permeates basically each of the nine hells. So technically, I guess you can reach the different layers through that. Um, but if you've read Dante's Inferno or you're familiar with it, you get hints of that throughout. I think I think Avernus is really classic in that respect. Um, they don't exactly parallel with Dante's Inferno. I mean, they're all ruled by a different archdevil. Um, but Avernus is the first one. It's, of course, uh, if you're familiar with the Blood War at all, this, this conflict between devils and demons, uh, it's this, this ongoing conflict that, you know, great wizards like Mordenkainen just kind of let happen because if either side wins, they're just going to wreak such terrible havoc on the rest of the planes that they just kind of let them, you know, you got two friends that they're arguing, you just let them tire each other out because it's going to make everything worse for everybody else. If one of them wins out. 
Um, and so Avernus is just this bleak, you know, everybody is unhappy, everybody's miserable, everybody's, you know, twisted in some way, either they, they weren't a good person or they were sent here and they're no longer happy. And basically everything that's there, somebody's trying to get an edge on somebody, but also watching below them for somebody trying to get one up on them. And of course yeah. there's like fireballs and, and crazy stuff going on on top of that. Yeah. So the other thing that is really important about the Avernus section, and which is one of the things that they really talked about at the big descent event, the is the the Infernal War Machines. WizKids had the really cool mini of it, and they were saying all sorts of just this is not your not your grandfather's D and D. All right. So that's what they were saying about the War Machines. And I know Gwen, you mentioned it earlier as well that this is something that you are super excited for. So can you give us the rundown? What are these things? And then why are they in this Dungeons and Dragons book? Uh, well, yeah. So they are, like, they're just vehicles. They're basically Mad Max vehicles. I know that's been the big selling point of this adventure. Is it's like Mad Max in hell. And as far as this part is concerned, they're not wrong. The uh, vehicles are way stripped down from Ghosts of Saltmarsh. That was a huge chunk of the book, was just all of the ships and crew and all that. Um, this is definitely a much smaller scale. And I think it's to the benefit of the adventure, although I also have never been a particularly rules-forward kind of player. Uh, my DM's not here, so I'm allowed to say that. But the vehicle section is only like four pages or something instead of the huge chapter it was in Ghosts of Saltmarsh. And it's really just focused on, like, here are a couple example um, vehicles. They're about four from small to big. And here are the basic things they can do. And here are some other basic things you can swap out for if you want to customize them. And that's it. So there is a lot of room for people to aggressively homebrew their own stuff, but there's enough to get baseline first-time DMs started and come up with something pretty cool. Um, the machines are a lot more focused on basically like, here's a badass motorcycle and it's got spikes all over it. And also a... um like a hose that shoots acid on things and if you get hit by the acid it's bad news so they've all got weird cool weapons like that and the party manipulating them can all do the fun things because in ghost of salt marsh with the ships there was a lot of like all right my action is to move the oars and there's nothing like that in this my action is only to move the weird like soul crane um or my action is to fire the crossbow or something like it's only fun things <laughs> yeah and i agree so 100% i was surprised when i saw how few vehicles there were and how few rules there were mm -hmm. and at first i was like what is this this is something that they were talking about a ton and there was a bunch of rules in ghost of salt marsh and at base value i was like this looked seemed like a step back, but I actually really liked it a lot more. And I think that they refined it. And I don't think them including less information was actually taking away from the mechanics. I actually feel like you were saying the mechanics are much stronger. It gives the players something to do and makes it very, it compartmentalizes how the vehicle works. And I think is really, it just made it so much easier. And I was thinking about how i would run this at the table and i would absolutely run this at the table yeah you were 
it reminded me a lot of some different science fiction games and how they use ships and how there's different portions of the ship. Like, this character is driving the ship. This person is shooting the gun on the ship. This person is manning the shield. And on your turn, you use that portion of the ship. And that's what this felt like. And I was a huge fan of that. Yeah. And I think it also makes sense just in terms of the scope of the vehicles within the universe. Like, they're meant to be um, overland travel over the course of a couple hours for Avernus. They're not meant to be, like, weeks at sea where you have to worry about your crew's morale and there are 60 people on the ship and where are the bathrooms? Like, all of that gets stripped out. And that's great because I don't want to have to worry about where my player characters are going to poop. Like, it's just not something I need to think about. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Michael, what were your thoughts on the Invernal War Machines? Um, I thought they were very cool. Um, I, I guess starting negative. My worry with all those, again, like the spaceship games, is if you're the person whose job it is to man the shields, um, is that as much fun as it is to be the pilot? Is that as much fun as it is to fire the guns? But it's not such a huge part of the game. I don't think that's going to be a concern. But I think from the ambiance and the atmosphere that it makes Avernus seem like a weird place, it, this is a type of place where this can happen. And it also ties back to Eberron, because I love Eberron. It's my favorite. And there are, they're not infernal machines, but there are like the, um, the L- or they call the elemental powered machines that they have these types of things in them. So that makes me happy. So definitely if I run this, there will be at least some chase or combat involving these machines. I just thought of another thing that I like that they added um, is these vehicles definitely feel like they're meant for, you know, chases, like you said. So something that they added to the mechanics was mishaps, which um, I really like. I think that that makes these vehicles feel um, just far more chaotic than they would have otherwise. But basically, pretty much any time something medium bad to very bad happens or you fail a check by a big enough amount, there's a chance that just something goes wrong on your vehicle and you have to fix it. So kind of no matter what, you always have a level of like panicked energy um, going into your chase that I think fits it really well and definitely also reinforces the Mad Max sort of feel where everything's like slapped together and you're just kind of doing your best with whatever weird materials you scrounged up. It's a good time. And I was going to talk a little bit about that later. I'll just do it here. But I, I do think that's one of my favorite parts of the Avernus chapter. So I guess I'm skipping to the end. Sorry, Tom. You're fine. Is that it does very much feel like you're somewhere else. And I, you know, I think D&D can feel very samey. I'll probably all role-playing games can, that you're in this city and there's this, you know, this Duke who's a, a bad dude or a Duchess who's a bad girl and they're evil. We got to fight them and you go to another place and now it's a king or a queen. But I don't know that it always feels different. I think this book really makes it feel like when you're in Inverness, you are in a different place and they flavor even like some of the spells. Like they give you a list of examples. Like if someone casts Mage Hand, it's going to look like a claw. If they cast Cloud of Fog, it's like moaning voices and uh, spectral, you know, images. I just think that's a cool thing that if the DM can remember to apply those, will make it feel unique and special, which I like. Yeah. So one thing that at first, because I'm still in this mindset of this is in the Forgotten Realms, when I, the War Machine's like, these don't really make sense here. But then I started thinking like you were saying, it's so much different. And these are these were actually the thing in this book that made me realize that Avernus is not the Forgotten Realms. It is this crazy place. And they I feel like these really tied it back into the strangeness of the planes. So Justice, did you what were your thoughts on the the Infernal War Machines? 
Um, so as far as the machines, I thought that they were, um, I thought that they were really cool. I think I agree in respect to um, there being kind of less in this chapter than I originally thought based on the way that uh, Avernus was marketed. But at the same time, I think that that is a strength to this, that the rules don't get so large that they're clunky or hard to keep track of as a DM. Um, I, I think that there's some good flavor between them. And I like that the customization options are kind of uh, reined into some respects. Um, I think that it makes it easier as a player um, to kind of remember these rules since they're not tons through the entire adventure. Um, so I, I think that it's good. It, it's kind of like a small section that is exciting um, and and interesting, and I, th- I think they have a lot of great flavor too. Yeah, the I think that they were great. Uh, the next section that I wanted to talk about um, was the whole idea of the blood wars. Is this something that is? good for a a new player and does this potentially not that necessarily every book needs to be for new players but that is definitely something that they said was that this is for newer players is this too grand of a scale um for this uh the whole the blood wars it should have should have is this what avernus is i think it's it is pretty huge scale i think that this book does a good job of kind of doing what you get with movies like Logan, where the concepts themselves are huge and spanning. And you might be a small party that has big influence. I think that the lore of the Blood War is simple enough that you can kind of grasp it as a player without having to know individual demon lords or archdevils and all that stuff. You really just need to know Zariel and then demons. Um, so I think it's not hard to grasp. It is huge spanning for a new a new group. And I think that if you take this book and isolate it compared to all the other books we have from D&D, you're going to get an, a niche kind of story that's very different from Lost Minds of Fandelver or Storm King's Thunder. It's not that high fantasy. It's grim. It's dark. I think it's a second or third campaign book, but maybe not a first. Absolutely. Uh, what were you, um, Gwen, is this something that, what, what were your thoughts on this, the epic grand scale of it? I mean, I definitely think that a player or a, a group, including a new DM uh, who are not as familiar with the general lore of the universe, maybe won't like have the same amount of gravitas about the blood war, but Honestly, I don't think there's any reason why it couldn't be a first player or a first campaign for new players. Um, the the surface level interactions with the Blood War are pretty minimal. You sort of see it happening all around as you go through the adventure, but you as a party are not like picking a side and fighting in it. You as a party aren't really dealing you're dealing a little bit with the um, different political machinations uh, as the adventure goes on, but I feel like by then you should have a pretty good grasp of the basic quote-unquote sides in the war and the the key players as far as the adventure itself goes. So I don't think it would be too challenging for new players to find a foothold in all of that. And, you know, maybe then they'd 
think back on it 10 years later and go, oh my God, I can't believe we did an adventure with Zeriel and we didn't even know. And then, ah, oh. but um, I, I don't think that's a reason that a group shouldn't have it as their first campaign. If they're excited about Mad Max and Hell, then 100% they should play it. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it obviously there's a lot to it, but it can be boiled down pretty simply to a turf war. You know, this mm-hmm. is no different than the Hatfield McCoys or two different mob, you know, mob groups in the in a sits like a 1930s setting. So I think that a DM could very easily boil it down to there's devils, there's demons, they're similar, but they're not the same and they don't like each other. And within this adventure, you have that ability to play one side off the other. Because isn't there a section where you have a devil track and a demon track to get to the same place, yes. mm-hmm. which I think is a cool addition. Uh, but I, so I think there's definitely a way to say, this is big, but for right now, this is all you need to know and kind of go from there. Yeah, I agree. I thought, I, I think that this does a really good job as far as making it feel epic, but then also making the players feel like they're just boots on the ground. And there's all these different things to interact with. The There's the like the, the, the roaming like marketplace and everything. There's all sorts of really cool things to interact with here. So some other kind of topics that kind of we wanted to talk about with the Avernus section, we talked about the Infernal War Machines, but then also there's this idea of Infernal Contracts, okay? And believe it or not, we have the expert on Infernal Contracts, (laughs) Justice. Expert. uh, What did you think about the Infernal Contracts section? And also, we we, we have to preface this because you did. You wrote a very successful DMs Guild supplement. Um, What was the title? Uh, It was Devil's Advocate, a guide to Infernal Contracts. So I actually really like the Infernal Contracts there. And, And one thing I tried to do when I was writing that, you know, I did that before I really knew what was going to be in Avernus. I did a lot of research based on the videos that were early on, what they were saying about the contracts and kind of tried to make mine a different system. Um, and I'm glad that I did. I, I think that um, if you really want to provide a prop contract to your players um, and you want to put the language in there and then you want to do that, I think that this book simplifies that a lot. I think it's got some it's got some cool things. I think they do a great job in the introduction telling about how devils like to talk, how they, you know, they'll wait. Um, they have no rush in extending these contracts. Um, I think that the entering into a deal, the proposal, and a few of the offers, they're great. I think that um, the exactly what you get, they could write more on. Um, some more, uh, uh, you know, details of exactly from a player perspective, what can I ask for exactly? Um, I'd like a little bit more there. But man, some of this stuff in here is just, it's so funny. Um, You look at the contract forms that they have and the very first one is the baby dolls. And it talks about these baby dolls that when you squeeze them, they like bleed. Uh, No, no. They're so gross, but so perfect. And I think that that's something that the charm that Wizards of the Coast has is there. But I think it's similar to the War Machines. It's you get a taste of things here and you can find out what you like. And as a DM, decide to, I'm going to make Infernal War Machines bigger in mine. And you can go online and see how other people have customized theirs. You see a contract and you say, man, I'd really like 
a little bit more in terms of deals. You can go online and you can grab something on the DMs Guild. And I think that the way that Wizards of the Coast is building things is such that you've got these axillary products coming out on the DMs Guild that can kind of supplement what they give you. But they give you that taste of it and let you run with it as a DM. The taste of it. The taste of the Infernal Contract. I also... What this brings to my mind is, you know, again, I'm, I think I'm older than everyone here, probably everyone put together. Uh, there was a time you are. where, you know, it was very common for DMs to give players wishes or they get wishes in the game. But then the goal was to manipulate that wish in the most negative way possible. If you have a type of group that would enjoy that, then you could have a lot of fun having them negotiate a, like a lengthy amount of time at the table where they negotiate these contracts with the devils and you really try to give them an opportunity to either get one up on the devils or to get a bad deal that they then have to worry about later. Or you can just go high level and be like, they can help you right now, but it's going to hurt later and then just go past it. So it's, it's like, it's got as much depth to it as you want. It could be a lot of delicious fun or it can be a two minute scene and then you're done until the adventure's over. And now that contract comes due and that's part two of whatever this is. Yeah, absolutely. The so speaking, it sounds like we there's lots of stuff to love about this this section of the book. So let's just kind of summarize it then. Uh, Gwen, what were your what are your final thoughts then about the section in Avernus? Oh my gosh, the whole thing. Um, yes, <laughs> I had a lot of fun reading through it. Um, I liked the different branching paths that are available. I like that they fleshed out a couple very or reasonably different options that players could take. I think that's very helpful for new DMs uh, who still want to give people genuine choice in the game. Personally, I found like eight different NPCs that I adore and need to put them in everything now. Uh, Mad Maggie uh, is one of the characters you meet. She is a night hag and I love her. And her whole roving band, band of misfits, um, mm-hmm. they're great. And I just think, in general, they did a really good job making this plane feel fleshed out and different and weird and intriguing to explore, but also alarming to exist in. Um, they found a very good balance between like horror and intrigue. I agree. Um, this is, this. it's lots of, there's so many great NPCs in this section. They all, and every single one of them feels different. So because they're so different, it makes it as a DM, in my opinion, really simple for, to, to use them. Because for example, in Waterdeep Dragon Heist, there's a lot of NPCs in that, but they, they a lot of times, they all kind of feel samey. Like it, sometimes, oh, this is a noble, and this is a noble, this is a noble, um, and this it's it's not. This is a this is a flying elephant that turns into a mammoth. Oh, now here are two kenku that are. It's just it. There's so it's so different. So, justice. What were your final thoughts here? Um, so I think that everything in this book kind of ties you into hell. And I think that the Avernus section is uh, chaotic and beautiful in the way that it really does make you feel like you're in Avernus, especially if you look at the other layers of hell. This, it, I mean, it's perfect to the lore that, that, that I've done some, some research on. And there are so many cool, you know, as Gwen said, um, NPCs in here that you will get attached to, even though they're just vile people uh, that you like them, you can't help it. 
And, and, and like you said, like they do feel distinct from one another. They feel like they have unique motivations that even though they're despicable people, you, you know, you want to be friends with them. You want to, you want to go hang out at a tavern with one of them or, you know, pop the top down in your infernal war machine and let the wind <laughs> run through your hair with Maggie. And um, I don't know, it, it, it's really great. I think the mood and the humor are just so perfect in this book that you can one moment have this thing, this, this uh, golem with a uh, uh, intestine stemming from his mouth as an air breather. And then you have this cute little elephant that reminds you of Bing Bong from Inside Out, uh, just chatting it up with some memories. <laughs> Yeah, there's that that one piece of art or the, oh my gosh, the the intestine and the oh, there's some Disgusting. really nasty there's some nasty art in this game, <laughs> but it is is good. So, uh that's um so that was the the Averna section. Uh it's I personally I really enjoyed this section of the book uh because it, it there's multiple paths there's a lot of things to do there's a lot of cool npcs to act with act with there's a lot of cool locations to go to so whereas the Baldur's gate section felt very linear it's it's almost to its benefit because the sooner that it can get you to a varnus that's where a lot of the cool stuff in this book takes place so um with with that all in mind it is time to move into our Final score and thoughts. And the way we're going to be breaking this down is we've got three sections. All right. So and what the goal of this is we want to know, we want to let you all know is, is this something that you should buy? Is this something for you? Because not everything is for everyone. And whereas this may be really great for some people, it may not be, you may want to skip this one. So with that in mind, our kind of our three kind of breakdowns how we're doing this you've got your art and design we've got the fluff the story and then we've got the crunch the rules so what we're going to do is we're just going to go around the board and we're going to just uh, on there should also be the overall though so like we can give and then we'll give you the overall and that's where we're going to give you our a plus through c rating so just kind of a just a real quick overall and i'll kind of i'll, I'll start the art and design for me is a big a plus it is absolutely fantastic i love the pronunciation guide i love all the appendixes that they have i love all of the the great rollable tables the we've kind of mentioned the back portion of the book with the crazy concept art to me the the art and design it's a plus i i I love it um gwen you're an artist Sure am. <laughs> so everybody take this opinion too hard. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> well, give it to us. What do you think of the art and design here? So for art and design, I love the design a lot. Um, I was even noticing just like the little, um, I don't even know what they're called. I'm not a layout artist, but the little things that they put at the bottom of the page by the page numbers just felt very Avernus-y. They've got mm-hmm. uh, some nice, I don't know, smoky swirls and some magic glowy lines. And I was like, that's nice. And I think that sums up how I feel about a lot of the art is it just feels very intentional and like it fits very well. Um, there's definitely, you know, some creature and NPC design where I see it and I go, that's, that's like, okay, I guess. But overall, it was very, very well done. Um, I There are so many 
good things to pick out. So many good NPCs and monster designs. Like we would be remiss if we didn't mention the abyssal chicken at least once because yes. it's just perfect. Um, and I love that uh, appendix at the back where you can see the concept designs that went into there. I love that um, one of the artists whose first name must be Alexi has created an Alexi pug. Like that's very good. <laughs> so overall, two thumbs up. Oh, cool. Justice, what'd you think? Art, uh, the the uh, the design. Also, we didn't really mention the maps. You're you're a, you're a cartographer. What'd you think of all this stuff? I'm trying to be a cartographer. Um, I love that they have kept Dyson logos as maps. I think they're great. I think they are easy to replicate as a DM. And it's such a shame when you can't show your players these beautiful, full-colored maps like i can't replicate that and i think office depot is like a thousand dollars to print off one of those maps i've tried before i think maybe blueprints is the way to go but i love dyson style it's very clear that you don't have players asking is this a door i mean you can replicate that more or less and it's it's apparent and that's the point of a map is to be easy to know where the road begins and ends to know that there's a stairway there i think that's great um design wise I love the way that they, I mean, we talk about this huge appendix and I think that the way that they've chosen to select what's in the appendix is good because it's the parts that you're going to want to reference throughout the book. You don't want to look for an obscure section um, somewhere in between chapters two and three where it mentions uh, devilish deals. You want to just turn to the appendix to the deal section and it's right there. It's easy to find. Um, And of course, the art is spectacular. I have no qualifications to say this art is bad it's all awesome (laughs) um i think it's super grisly and disgusting in some parts and then just awesome in others so you know great all around in those it's is very good michael what were your thoughts um so as far as art land i actually really liked it uh was again to me on beating a dead horse i don't run a lot of modules so i can't compare this to a lot of their other modules i've skimmed them but this is the one i've read the most in depth because i knew we were going to review it but overall i really liked it for me i would say it's probably a b plus uh there's most of it i really like there's a few duds i think there's a few pieces of art that just don't fit Mm-hmm. the others i think and maybe it's just that i don't have an appreciation for art and it's probably really good but to my dumb eyes it doesn't seem like it fits um as i mentioned earlier the flow charts that's the thing i was trying to think of earlier i really like the flow charts um i do like that they include box text even though i would say never actually read it aloud read it and then summarize it because box text is evil but i like that it's there i think there's a lot of this which would be friendly for a newer dm but I just also think it teaches them some bad lessons that I'm hoping that they will learn from other places how to do it yourself, like with the session zero and, and not have to railroad them and either kill them if they don't actually follow your plot. Uh, but art and design, I would say B plus very good. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And I actually, we're going to, I'm going to turn it right over to you for the next thing, which is the fluff, the story, because I technically you're considered professor fluff um, with, um, within the Academy. You're the story person. You really enjoyed this stuff. what do you think of the story overall? Just give us your, give us your thoughts. Yeah, I, I liked it. It, um, there's enough pieces and parts that could be expanded where again, the Baldur's Gate section could last for months or weeks of game time. If you want it to the blood war, you could really deep dive into those aspects. 
Uh, some of the NPCs uh, begin very delicious. There, there are people, there's NPCs I want to join our party for a little while. I want them to interact with our players. Uh, so there's a lot to love here. I, I think this is like, I don't want to say the cliff notes because that's not fair to it, but there's more depth than is presented, but it gives you the access if you want to deep dive into those other things. Um, so again, I would say probably a B plus. I don't think it's the greatest thing I've ever read, but I could see myself taking bits and pieces of this and using it in my home games. Awesome. Uh, Gwen, story. What do you think of the story overall? Hmm. I, um, I mean, I'm on the record as saying that I love like every NPC that I've encountered in this. They're all just so fun, so good, uh, so gross in the best, most intriguing way possible. Um, especially the NPCs that show up once you actually get into Avernus, like it's just A plus writing for them. Um, story-wise, I like that they baked in a lot of different options for how it can play out. I think that's a good medium point between full sandbox, which would be a huge nightmare to DM, and I never want to do one, and something that's very linear the whole time. So it does give you a lot of options for how the story plays out, and I appreciate that a lot. The story itself, I thought, was good. It seems um, pretty straightforward, honestly, and that is fine with me because the setting is so weird and wild that if it also had a incredibly weird and wild story i think nobody would be able to follow it at my table (laughs) because nobody takes notes and we're all very bad at listening so it would work very very well for my table yeah uh for me it's uh similar the the Baldur's gate stuff i'm gonna take a hard pass on that like i think that we can i think that you could cut it out and put it over in a put it over in a corner and not run it but the Avernus stuff, like you said, the story is very um, seems very uh, normal. Nothing too out of the ordinary. But the setting is absolutely bonkers and wild and so epic. And I am a massive fan, like I've already said, of just the you know glowing swords and going down these these epic final rides and everything. I almost want to run the section that talks about, or I almost want to go back and run the Hell Riders and Zeriel's Fall. Uh, that's like, there's so much cool lore to this. That is absolutely, I love the Averna section so much. It really just, it hits it for me. I'll take a hard left turn here. Who here thinks it would be better if instead of having this first section Baldur's Gate, you actually started in Etriol and the first section was you in the city as it descends to hell and Ooh. dealing with that. Oh, that would be cool. I mean, it's, it's still railroady. <laughs> like they, they can't get out of the city, but I think that would be more fun to run when you're actually there experiencing it than it happened over here. But that's just me. There you go. Justice, that's your next DM skill product where we can take the first part. <laughs> El Toro, yeah, just sink it into the we ground. Get royalties. All right. So anyway, uh, Justice, <laughs> what do you think of the fluff? Um, so I, I think there's kind of the three big things that I'll tie back to in the fluff are, I think Gwen touched on it, the amount of choice that you get in how things play out is really cool. You let the players, I mean, there's so way, so many ways to end this adventure that it directly spells out for you. And I appreciate those. Um, I think the flaws and the characters are really well played out. The motivations, why people are doing things, it makes them feel you know, in something so abstract as hell, it, it makes the NPCs feel human sometimes, especially Zariel. Um, you relate to her at times. Um, and then uh, lastly, I mean, the lore is super cool. As a big fan of Norse mythology, the fact that there is an item in this adventure, which I won't spoil what it is, but it is fashioned by one of the giant gods. I mean, I was geeking out. 
it's in there. It's one sentence and it's in there, but it is the most important sentence to me in this entire book. So awesome. Uh, yeah. The, so the next section then is the crunch. There is a, this is the rule stuff and the stuff that we can use in our game. So there's a good amount of this stuff. There are the, the dark secrets. There are the, the infernal war machines. There's, um, there's all sorts of cool rollable tables, magic items, monsters, uh, what you what 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 you all think, Gwen? What was the what were your overall thoughts of the that the the stuff in the back? That's what I'd say. Thank you for reminding me that the dark secrets part existed because yeah, yes. I like that a lot. Um, because I think that's something that I've struggled with in the past. Starting a new group in a new campaign is just getting the player characters to a point where they feel like a unit and they are interested in going through with the adventure. <laughs> And I think that is a very interesting way to kind of kickstart that process um, and something that's definitely helpful for people like me who are not the best DM, but are doing their best. Uh, So I like that and I'm glad they included it and I forgot it existed until just now. Uh, The Infernal War Machine side of things, as I've said earlier, uh, I enjoy it. I like that it's simple, straightforward, chaotic, love it, feels like it's going to play like how it should feel, if that makes sense. It does. I haven't played it yet, but I'm looking forward to it performing as expected when I do play it. So you would say it's a you say it gets a thumbs up then? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I agree. The dark secrets thing, I, I I enjoyed all of the I enjoyed all the appendixes. They were really cool, good. Lots of really cool monsters here. Um, the I love the Infernal War Machines. Yeah, the dark secrets is really fun because it gives it this. Sorry, I'm gonna spoil murder on the Orient Express, but it gives it where everybody you know that like you as a group you all killed somebody. Yeah, now you can't like run away from them. You have to stay with them, and it is just it gives this really really this glue that sticks the players together, which is awesome because I always love I always love stuff like that. Uh, Justice, what'd you think? What'd you, uh, the appendix is? Oh, and also if you run away, 12 thugs will oh, come that's right. back into the city. <laughs> right, don't forget about that. Um, I think the crunch is great. I, I, the, the tools it gives you to make hell mechanically feel bleak are so perfect. I think they could be a little worse, honestly. I mean, hell is hell. Like, uh, you know, we talk about how you could not run the Baldur's Gate portion. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell is, is, it's awful. And there are some pretty brutal effects in here and the optional rules you talk about, like with exhaustion um, and, and things like that. I, it could be. Or like the alignment one. The alignment one. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and uh, just some of that stuff that from a player perspective, like kind of removes the hope a little bit, but, but gives you a challenge. Um, I think those are really great. Um, I think this could have been a really cool adventure if it went from five to 15 instead of one to 13. But uh, yeah, I mean, the the crunch is great. The items are are really cool. Um, There's lots of flavor in each of them rather than being static bonuses for the most part. There are creatures tied to them and um, it really comes out in the mechanics as well, um, which I appreciate that sort of thing. Yeah, those are all super good points. Uh, Michael, what what about yourself? Um, Do you like the appendixes? Well, again, as the Professor Fluff crunches, not in my wheelhouse. But uh, I did appreciate a few of them. Again, I think the Infernal War Machines are really cool. I did like the dark secrets at the beginning. And again, slight tangent, in a world where there's a lot of murder hobos, which again, if that's how you like to play, more power to you. But setting up that together you murdered someone is really, really bad 
could help curb the, the desire. Like, well, we'll just kill our way out of every problem because part of your problem is that you killed someone before. Uh, but the Abyssal Chicken, again, A plus for that alone. And then I also really like the just little like footnote that if anyone tries to actually map a virus, oh, yeah. they start to go that's mad. Awesome. And I just think that's awesome. So I would give it like an okay. A minus for the crunch, which is weird because that's not my forte and that's the highest grade I got. It. Yeah, I mean, it's it. really, yeah, I really do. I think it's cool. So now we're, we're kind of finishing up. We're coming to a close. This is where we're going to give the final score and just to kind of break the ice so you all i won't make one of you all go first and have to feel i'll give my final score first all right so where it can, when it when it comes down to it i'm gonna go ahead and give this a b plus all right i think that if you are a huge fan of the forgotten realms then i think you should probably you should buy this and i think you're gonna get a lot of play out of it the if you're somebody who doesn't want something that is like the forgotten realms don't necessarily get this because there is a good portion of this that ties it in yes avernus feels differently and i'm going to be taking some of the avernus section but because they tie it so closely to the forgotten realms with Baldur's gate i definitely feel like this feels like a forgotten realms but this that's just not it's just not for everyone some people love it some people don't so that's why i'm gonna give it a b plus so uh michael all right, I'm actually going to give it a B plus as well. Uh, and our grading system, as you laid out, B plus basically translates to I'm stealing this for my game and we'll be using it. I love the idea of the Avernus section. Again, I, I may not use this section, but I probably will have players at some time very soon going into Avernus and interacting there. And this gives me what I need to make that feel different and unique and gives me a lot of stuff to play with. Um, again, I like the art a lot. I like the layout a lot. Baldur's Gate, the gazetteer at the back gives you a lot of fluff that you can use to make a CD-based campaign. My only hesitation would be that the Eberron book is coming out soon, and it's going to be much better for that. <laughs> but B-plus for Michael. There you go. Justice, what were your th- what's your final rating? Oh, man. You know, I feel like I should give it B-plus, but I want to do A-minus. Yes. I really liked it. And you know what? Um, I think Baldur's Gate, you know, we didn't even touch on the Dead 3 having like a pretty big part in Baldur's Gate. I love that gazetteer. I, it makes me, there's so much, so those locations in there, they're just so perfect to be able to run a session there. And I know like after you've run like a campaign from one to 20, you really want to get through those early levels because you're like, eh, come on, come on. A, you know, a straight rock is going to kill one of the PCs if we're not careful. Um, but, you know, all in all, I, f- I feel like this book was really great. I've been excited for it. I think that the way that they just commit to everything, you know, the things they include in this book, they, you know, they go hard into them. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. So I say A minus. Uh, now, if I, I agree with you, though. If you don't like the realms, um, it, one, you're probably not buying a whole lot of D&D books as it is. <laughs> this is true. Official modules. Um, but... Yeah, you probably wouldn't like this one if you if you don't like the realm. So I, I agree there. But yeah, A minus. A minus, which is on our rating scale, is I love this. So there you go. Yeah, yeah I love this. Yeah, <laughs> see, I love it. There you go. It, Gwen, final rating. What'd you think? Ooh, so I've been doing math in my head the whole time you guys were talking. Like, all right, so if I thought the Baldur's Gate part was about this, and then I thought the Avernus part was about this, and then Baldur's Gate is proportionally this much of the book, then overall that would weight it how much? And I think I'm going with a B plus, but like an 89.9% kind of B plus the B plus where you're okay. really mad about it. Um, I can't, I cause you. the Baldur's gate sections just drag it down for me. Um, they're just, 
the Avernus parts are so, so, so good. And then having the Baldur's Gate in comparison uh, makes me not even want to play those parts because I just want to get to the Avernus stuff. Um, so mm-hmm. if slash when I get around to running this, I think that I will probably find a way to streamline all of that because I don't think it's what I or my table would be interested in because it's so um, been there, done that D&D compared to what the rest of the book has to offer. So I think for somebody considering running this, if you're a new player, a new party, new DM, it's great. Play the Baldur's Gate stuff. It'll give you a great introduction to D&D before it goes off the rails. If you've played before, you should read chapters two through five to decide how you want, or if you want to play the game, not chapter one, because it is very different. Yep, I agree. And I think that's a very good summarization of this book. There are certain things that just absolutely fantastic. There's fantastic portions. There's some stuff that, you know, we could give or take, which is absolutely fair. So that is it. That is the first, that is a review. Oh, well, nope. Um, Want to jump in one more thing? Uh, Curveball, did anyone pick up the limited edition cover and any thoughts on whether that is worth the extra effort and potential cost of tracking one down? I did not. (laughs) Uh, I didn't get it. I totally am going to. I love Hydro74's art. Um, I really kick myself for not getting the one for Volos uh, since, I I mean, like, I think they're super cool. It's a good way to support your local game store because they're hard to get online. Um, But I don't know. Having a big skull on the front instead of a beholder uh, would be nice. Yes. So this is probably the first one where I actually think the original art is cooler. Like I do like the limited edition thing. It's kind of neat. I do think this art is better, but I'm a bit of a completionist. So I did track down one of the limited edition covers. I got this at just at a game store for like 35 bucks, which is less than cover price. I was very excited about that. I paid 50 plus tax for the other one. So if I had to do it again, might not go with the limited edition because it's, you know, it's 15 bucks more. But I do think the limited edition's kind of cool especially if you collect all of them because they have a similar feel to them mm-hmm. uh but all in all i would say i don't know that it's worth it unless you just are the type of person that's going to anyways and then what i said doesn't matter and at that point you should just buy the beetle and grimm's platinum edition because it's awesome yeah. oh, yes that's a um because i i hear justice is going to be he i'm sure he'll be getting one of those and when he does you should break it down for us. Oh, I'll break it down. You follow me on Twitter. I, I post that stuff like every week. I'm about to post some stuff for Waterdeep here in a bit. So <laughs> fantastic! And speaking of that, we'll 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 close things out with um. What we like to do is where can people find you? So Gwen, where can people find you and su- support your work? I am all over the internet, but mostly Twitter. Uh, you can find me at GwendyB. That's G W E N D Y B E E. Um, on Twitter, or just if you go to GwendyB.com, it's got links to all my social media and portfolio stuff, so you can see me and my art there. And that's most of what I post is art, so every now and that's then okay. you'll get a, a weird video game take, or me yelling about uh, Golden Sun, the Game Boy Advance game from 2001 that I love and everyone else has forgotten. <laughs> it's mostly art. It's fantastic. I'm okay with seeing your art, so <laughs> there you go. Go, che- go check it out, folks. Justice. uh where can we find you? And then um, where can we support you? Uh, so I'm, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I am retweeting Quinn all the time. You can find my website is www.norsedm, as in dungeonmaster.com. Uh, there's links to all my products and stuff on there. Uh, you will see 
one cover with Gwen's art on it right now, soon to be two uh, this month, um, which would be pretty cool. Milk-themed carnival horror. Uh, it's as disgusting as it it's sounds. It's worse. It's worse. <laughs> it's very worse. <laughs> Fantastic. And then you can find me at Bezcar Tom. Yes, like the Star Wars medal on Twitter. It was a period of my life. All right, folks. Um, yeah, we're just doing all sorts of crazy stuff on there. And then I am every other Wednesday. We're playing Ghosts of Salt Marsh, and it is a it's a lot of fun. And Michael, our fearless leader, where can we find you? <laughs> All right, so I'm pretty much everywhere at the RPG Academy. So if you search for that and you find something, it's probably me. If it's not, let me know because I need to have a conversation with somebody. <laughs> so I've moved in. I've almost got my, my room set up. So we should be getting back to detentions on the alternate Wednesdays when Tom is not running. I should be there doing some nonsense. And uh, we like to bring on special guests. And it's a very laid back sort of show. Even for us, it's more laid back than this. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. Looking forward to doing that. And to support me right now, the biggest thing is Patreon. Again, I transitioned to a stay-at-home dad. I'm now a one-income household. So uh, all the money I used to spend on silly D&D stuff, I don't have anymore. So you can help me there. But of course, a Catacon next month, uh, which uh, this will probably come out in a week or two. So we're about three weeks away from a Catacon in Dayton, Ohio. If you happen to be in Dayton, Ohio in November, I'm sorry, but at least you can come play games. Descended upon by a bunch of nerds. It is such a great convention, and I love it so much. And you two should definitely come check out a Catacon sometime. It's a blast. So I'm going to hold you to that. All right. So anyway, that's where we're going to kick it today. Thank you all for joining us. Um, And this has been an absolute blast. And hope to see you on our next review episode. Thanks. And oh, I almost forgot. Hey, Michael, if you're having fun, you're doing doing it right. right. Okay. All right. See you all. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook or join our Discord where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time.
The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.